The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning again. Uh, if I haven't met you now, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway, and I am so glad that you chose to be here with us this morning, whether you're here in person or watching online. Um, One of the things that we're getting ready to launch off next week is Rooted, and uh, you just saw a little testimony video about someone's experience um, from a different church down in Texas that has gone through Rooted, and I want to encourage you. I've heard so many stories from other churches that have gone through this Rooted experience of the life change and the relationships that have just been built and grown throughout that process Um, And we're getting ready next week to launch our own Rooted Groups. So out in the lobby after the 1015 this morning, uh, Dustin and Becky Jones will be at a table, and there is a chance for you to sign up for your own Rooted Group um, on the top of each list. It will tell who's leading the group and what night of the week they're meeting on and where they're meeting. And uh, so I want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up for a group yet, uh, do that today. Groups are filling up fast. There's multiple groups that have already reached their capacity, so we'd love it if everyone at Westway would go through this process. And if you don't get in this first go-around, I can promise that this is something that we're going to do periodically in the future as well. So if you don't get in this time, there's another opportunity in the future. But I want to encourage you to go and sign up today after the 10:15. Uh, for today, if you have your smartphones with you, you can follow along through our series today. We're finishing up a series um, that we're calling Groups. And uh, if you get your, your smartphone out and go to the YouVersion Bible app and look under the events, um, there's an event for Westway Christian Church that'll walk you through all of the scriptures that we're talking about today so you can follow along on it. We're going to kind of move fast through a bunch of different scriptures today, so I want to encourage you to open that up and follow along with us. And I also wanted to plug, um, next week, along with our Rooted Groups, we're also kicking off our new series uh, through the book of Judges. And one of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple weeks, especially with John, is there are times where we can't cover everything that we want to cover on a Sunday morning. We just went through Revelation, and I know as you were reading through along with us, we can only talk about so much in our time on Sunday morning. So one of the things that we're trying to encourage everyone to do is read ahead and read along. So if you know that in the future we're going we're gonna to cover three chapters in Judges, you can go through on your own and read those three chapters and come here for Sunday morning prepared for the little snippet and overview that we're going to talk about that morning. So in the lobby right out at the welcome desk, there's these little cards. It has the logo, the theme for judges is rescue. And then on the back side, it's kind of listed out tentatively week by week. You can go through and see the date, the topic that we're going to talk about, and then the section of scriptures that we're going to hit out in that week. Those are all out in the lobby. I want to encourage you to grab one of those as you leave today and start even preparing for next week by reading those first couple chapters of Judges. So my task today is to talk about what it looks like to build relationships with non-Christians. And I'm going to confess that I kind of, I took that and as I was preparing for this message, I really felt convicted that I, that's not what I'm going to talk about. Exactly. So John's not here. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> Probably not true, but I got to thinking about this, and we're talking about what it looks like to build relationships, and we've talked about what it looks like to build a relationship with God, what it looks like to build a relationship with other Christians, and then today, 
is what it looks like to build a relationship with non-Christians. And I was, as I was reading through scripture, preparing for this message and really thinking about what that looks like, I was convinced and convicted a little bit that the way that I interact with Christians and the way that I build a relationship with Christians really isn't all that different from how I should be interacting with non-Christians seeking them out and building relationships with them. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at a bunch of different passages in the New Testament and examples of how Jesus postured himself no matter who he interacted with. But I want to start by asking this question. How many of you have ever known a selfish person? How many of you have ever been a selfish person? Everyone's pointing to the person next to them. Well, think about it. Someone who is in a group of people, but they don't seem to care about at all the well-being of the group. All that they can think about is themselves, their well-being. It doesn't matter if there's a better option, a better place, a better thing. If it's not what they want, they throw a fit until they get their way. I think of, of kids. Like, kids act this way all the time, and it's something that, that we see from very early on. Um, I know I was that way when I was little, and I've seen this in my own kids. You hear the word, one of the first words probably that many of us learn is the word, oh, you guys know, <laughs> mine. It's our default. And what happens is we naturally tend to fill our lives with ourselves, and that's what the culture around us preaches too, right? We need to look out for, for ourselves, and if someone else gets in the way, that's okay. Okay just bulldoze right over them. It's ingrained within us to fill our lives up with ourselves. And there comes a time in our life where I think we just need to kind of pause and look at our lives and clean out our closets. Megan and I just moved here back to Scotts Bluff a few months ago, and we realized pretty quick that we had a lot of stuff that we didn't need throughout the moving process. As we were packing boxes, Stuff just kept piling up as we were loading the truck. Things just kept showing up to put in the truck. And as we were unpacking boxes, there seemed to be boxes that are still sitting in our house waiting to be unpacked because it's full of things that we didn't need. So I want to ask you this question. What if we were to pause this morning and take a look at our inner closets of ourself, clean out the things we don't need, and refill it with the heart of Jesus? It brings us to this question, what is at the core of the heart of Jesus? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And one of the reasons why I love the Bible is because it's not just some random book of ancient writings. It's something that we can look at and read, and it's still relevant to us today. As John's mentioned before, the Bible's not necessarily written for us or to us, but it is written for us. I'll get that right. It's not written to us specifically, but there is plenty of it as we're reading through that is still for us today. The same problems and struggles that people had in Jesus' times are the same struggles that we have today. And the disciples of Jesus, as we look through Scripture, you see examples of them kind of being selfish over and over and over. They fought for themselves. They cared about how they looked and how they were perceived. They were constantly fighting for positions of power, being right, looking right, and saying the right things. And over and over, as we look at Jesus' interactions with his disciples, he says, hold on, that's not what this is really about. And I think that if we 
paused today and thought about our own lives, then we would find that we are very similar to the disciples. So let me set the scene. If you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along on your version apps, we're going to be starting in Luke chapter 22. But I want to set the scene a little bit. Here we are, and Jesus is, is coming to the end. He's in the last few hours of his life And one of the things that he wanted to do, and it was kind of tradition for them at this time of year, was to get together and celebrate the Passover meal. So Jesus took his disciples and they went to to the upper room, which was a place that was kind of secluded, where they could go and sit together and celebrate this Passover feast together. And here we see this scene. And it's one that we're probably familiar with. It's one that we talk about every week later in the service when we come to our time of communion. Let's take a look together. Luke 22, starting in verse 19. He, Jesus, took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us, is a man who will betray me. For it's been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? And then this is the part that kind of caught my eyes when I was reading through this. After Jesus says all those things, this is what they say. The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Like, surely it's not going to be me. Is it him? Is it him? And then right after that, in order to kind of prove to the people at the table that it's not going to be them, I think, it says they begin to argue among themselves who would be the greatest among them. Now, this is one of the most intimate moments that we see with Jesus and his disciples. He took them aside. He's telling them what's going to happen to him saying, this is my body. My body's going to be broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. I'm going to die. And it's funny. Well, not really funny. But what do the disciples do immediately after that? They're being selfish and arguing about who is greater and who would ever betray Jesus. Talk about ruining a moment. Sometimes I think as we look at this scene that we just read, we could almost take ourselves and put us in that very scene. And for those of us who know Jesus, there are moments where we feel really close to him. And the disciples had just spent three years with Jesus, living life with him, following him around, listening to him speak to crowds, watching him perform miracles and amazing things, learning from him and living with him every moment. And then they still missed it. And I think that we forget about the heart of Jesus because we are too consumed with ourselves, with our status, with our popularity, with our looks, or what others think of us. We filled up our closets with things rather than filling it with the heart of Jesus. Now I want to take a look at this very same scene recorded in the book of John from a little bit of a different perspective. And I think as we look at this passage, it really shows us what's at the core 
of the heart of Jesus in John 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on the earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. See, in Bible times, the dusty and dirty conditions of the region and wearing sandals everywhere made your feet pretty nasty. And one of the things that they would do before they met for a meal like this is they would have a servant placed by the entrance of the door and the servant would, as people are walking in, the guests for the meal, they would wash their feet. And uh, as the disciples, they were most likely would have been really happy to wash Jesus' feet because, I mean, Jesus was their teacher. They wouldn't be able to conceive or even think about the thought of Jesus washing their feet. And this was because in that, in that time, foot washing was reserved for the lowliest of menial servants. And peers wouldn't wash one another's feet, except very rarely and usually as a mark of great love. So when Jesus moved to wash their feet, they were shocked. And that's why Peter said, nope, not going to do it, Jesus. You're not ever going to wash my feet. But by washing his disciples' feet, Jesus taught the lesson of selfless service that was supremely exemplified by his death on the cross. And I love, right before Jesus gets up from the table, it says that he realized he knew that all authority had been given to him over everything, that he had come from God and would return to God. So the very first thing he did, knowing all of that, was to humble himself and wash his disciples' feet. So Peter says, no. And Jesus replied to him, unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. And then Simon, usually the one that speaks before thinking, says, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And after washing their feet, Jesus, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are to emulate him. Serving one another like he served those around him. Out of lowliness of heart and mind, seeking to build one another up in humility and love. 
And I think that when we seek the glory for ourselves and start to debate who among us is greater and who gets to sit next to the, in the position of honor at the table, God looks down at us and kind of says, like, what's going on, guys? Maybe a little displeased. See, God promised true greatness in his kingdom is attained by those with a servant's heart. And when we have that servant's heart, the Lord promised that we will be greatly blessed. And it comes back, I think, to to these relationships that we've been talking about over the course of of the last few weeks. Having a growing relationship with God, a growing relationship with other Christians, and a growing relationship with non-Christians. It starts with our relationship with God. This realization that God is God and I am not. And that I don't have the abilities that he does. And that I'm flawed that Jesus is the perfect one, the one who came down to serve and lay his life for you and me to forgive us of our sins. And through that sacrifice, God granted us access to a relationship with him. And he gave us the Holy Spirit, which is the very presence of God, to dwell within us through that relationship. God desires a personal relationship with us. And while God desires a a personal relationship with us, We were never intended to live life alone. So God wants us to have relationships with other Christians. God created us as relational beings. We're not above anyone else. We're all created in the image of God. But because of sin, we are messed up, broken, do dumb stuff people who are selfish at the core. And because of that, we need to to remember that. And we tend to fill ourselves up with things that will not matter in the end, but God calls us to something bigger and something better. He calls us into relationship with other Christians through the church, where we can all work together through our various gifts and abilities to further God's kingdom, which brings us to the next step, relationships with non-Christians, relationships with people that are outside of the the church. You see, we're going to determine our relationship with other people based on those first two relationships. Based on how we view God and how we view ourselves, And if we think of ourself as Lord of our life, then that's how we're going to live our lives, with ourself at the center. Not worried about other people, not worried about the people that are far from God. But it's until we realize that and put God at the center of our lives that we change. Where we start to view other people as better than ourselves, where we start to look out for other people's interests instead of our own interests, and where we start to love people like Christ loved them. So let me ask you again if the heart of Jesus is to serve other people, how close is your heart to his? Galatians 5. 13 and 14 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use that freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. See, this is what happens if we continue to live selfishly. And we see that all the time in the church. And John kind of mentioned this a few weeks ago when he was talking about how church people relate to other church people. If we can't get along with each other, what does that say about us? 
What picture of Jesus are we portraying to other people? If the very people that that call ourselves his closest followers treat each other like dirt. It's not a very good picture. So the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So would you be willing to not worry about filling yourself up, but letting yourself get down on one knee and wash the feet of those you care about? To take the heart of Jesus and begin to live it out and to serve one another in love. Let me give you a hypothetical situation. Emphasis on the word hypothetical. Imagine with me for a second if at the very beginning of my marriage there was a time when Megan was heading out of town for a few days. Now normally this is not a problem because I'm a grown man. Okay, I can take care of myself. I can fend for myself when it comes to food. I could order an extra large pizza and just eat it for breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner every single day. So Megan would look at me and say, that's a bad idea. She wants me to eat real food. So Megan does the work up front of preparing some meals for me, putting them in the fridge, and putting all the labels on the containers, leaving the instructions on how to prepare all this food. And she also would make sure to leave me a list of chores to do while she was gone, bills that need to be paid, uh, dishes that need to be cleaned in the sink, paying the phone bill, the cable bill. So she leaves for a few days, and I survive, okay? I am still there. And she comes back home from her trip, and she walks into the house, and she's met with a disgusting, rancid, rotten smell. Yep. She walks in, and the house is a mess. There's trash overflowing, flies and maggots everywhere. The dishes are piled high in the sink. She opens the fridge and sees that none of the food she prepared, it's all still there, and it's all rancid. So she stands there fuming. She picks up her phone and goes to call me. Line's dead. I didn't pay the phone bill. So she decides to wait it out and wait for, wait for me to get home. Sits down to watch some TV. It's not there either because I didn't pay that bill. So fast forward a few hours. I come home. Megan's waiting for me at the door. And before I get to the door, she says, what is wrong with you? Why is nothing done? Why is the house like this? Did you not get my notes? And I look at her and say, of course I did. I saw all of the notes. I did one better. I read them, I collected them, and I memorized them. Let me recite them back to you. And then she says, that's awesome that you know them, but what did you do about it? And to which I respond, nothing. I knew what you wanted me to do, but I didn't do anything about them. Now, how does that end for me? Poorly. (laughs) That hypothetical world does not end well for me. But I think we do that sometimes. Most of us know what we should do, but don't do it. When it comes to serving other people, when it comes to being a real, true, authentic kingdom worker, one who is serving the kingdom of God rather than our own selfish kingdoms, there's something that we need to begin to grasp. That there's a big difference between knowing what to do and actually doing it. And I think, especially in American Christianity, we've come to be okay with this idea of being comfortable. 
with this idea that it's okay to just understand and know all the things and then come and sit in a service on Sunday morning and then go back to our lives. We know what to say. We know how to say it. We know how to look the part. But when it actually comes to stepping up and doing those things, there's silence. So when we look at Jesus' words to us when it comes to life, he narrows down all of the laws, all of the teachings of the people of his time to two things. If you look with me in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, this is what he says. One of the teachers of the law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked him, of all the commandments, which one is the greatest? Which one is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. And then he quotes Deuteronomy, where it says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Love God and love others. That's what we're supposed to do. And these two things go hand in hand. If we were to look at Jesus' words, we could say it like this. When we are serving other people, we're serving God. When we're loving other people, like we do ourselves, we're loving God. But we know this, right? This is not new information. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've probably heard this. It's called the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And we're supposed to know these things, right? But when it comes to actually doing them, that's the hard part. It's easy to be able to say those things, but it's harder to actually put those into practice. And there's a big difference between, between knowing what to do and then actually doing it. So what is it? What is it that stops us? What is it that keeps us from doing these things? I think if we're honest with ourselves, it comes down to one word. Me. We don't serve because of me. Because I'm thinking about myself, not other people. How are we thinking about ourselves? Why don't we serve? I think it's because we're scared. We're scared of what we have to give up or what God might ask us to do. We fear that following Jesus and loving God and loving others as ourselves means we actually have to give up the one thing that's taking up most of our time, and that's ourselves. And it's the thing that's keeping us away from God. We're scared that loving God and loving others might mean that we have to take a step outside of our comfort zones. I just had this conversation yesterday. My wife was making fun of me a little bit, and rightly so. We were going to order some Chinese food, and I tried to have, I said, you just call. And she said, why don't you want to call? And I said, it's because I don't like talking to other people on the phone. It's outside of my comfort zone. And luckily, my sister stepped in, and she did it for me. <laughs> but it's hard. I mean, we laugh about that, but it's hard to do. It's hard to step outside your comfort zone, because we're here, and we're comfortable. And when we step outside of that comfort, all of these things start to flow in our mind of the what-ifs that could possibly go wrong. And the fear creeps in. But if we are followers of Jesus, we know 
what we need to do. We know the types of things that we should be doing to love our neighbor as ourselves. We know those things. And we need to move past that scared phase and realize that God has already prepared us. That we can do it. We just have to make that initial step out of our comfort zone. And the truth about this is is a serious thing. Jesus warns those that don't understand this concept. And I'll be honest with you, this scripture that we're going to look at in just a second is very eye-opening. And as I was reading through it this last week, like the reality of that situation hit me. It shows how serious our calling is when it comes to loving God and loving others and how actually doing something about it matters. In Matthew 25, Jesus says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, there he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me a drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me into your home. I was naked and you did not give me any clothing. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not help you? Then he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Now this is a pretty brutal picture. This is pretty intense. And I, I don't think that Jesus was saying these things to just immediately strike us all with fear. But I think he was saying these things to show us the reality that we live in. To show us the degree in which he calls us as his followers to partake and serve in the kingdom of God. You see, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about serving others. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading that passage, like the righteous and the unrighteous both had to ask When did we do this? When did we see you in those situations and either help you or not help you? And it got me thinking, like, they're just on two opposite sides of the same problem. And the solution was so ingrained in the righteous that they just did those things. They loved others. It was second nature because of who they are. Let me say that again. It was second nature because of whose they are. And then we have the flip side. 
The difference between the righteous and the unrighteous was how they treated other people. God wants us to love God and love others, regardless of who they are, regardless of the type of life that they live, regardless of how difficult they are. Because people are difficult, right? I know that I'm difficult at times. So how are you doing? If I were to determine how well each of us in this room loved God by looking at how well we're serving others, how are we doing? How does this look? I think one of the the things that we fail at as Christians is to expect non-Christians to live like we do. To expect people that are far from God, that don't, that don't know God, to magically have it all figured out. So maybe we should expect non-Christians to initially be non-Christians and live like it and not judge them for it. And instead, love them. Instead, live by example of what it looks like to follow God, what it looks like to be a Christian. And then because of that, as we read last week, if we're living out those things to our children and their children and to the people that we come in contact with, they're going to ask questions. They're going to ask, like, why is he different? What is it about him that's different than the way I live my life. And hopefully that difference is Christ and what he's done for us. So live by example to those that are far from God. Choose submission over selfishness. Sometimes it's hard to serve other people, Christian or non-Christian, because they're people. And people can be difficult. But sometimes we need to do the job that no one else wants to do. Sometimes we have to do the things we need to do over the things we want to do. Sometimes we need to be the ones that wash their feet. So as we close today, I want to challenge us to follow the example of Jesus. We just read a bunch of passages throughout the different Gospels of how Jesus interacted with people that he loved. And I think it all boils down to this. So as we close, I just want to read these verses for us, and then I'll pray. This is Philippians 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave 
and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I can't think of how many times I've stopped there, but I want to keep going. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright stars in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, Then on that day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run a race in vain and that my work was not useless, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer this morning. And that's what it all boils down to. To love you and love other people. But Father, so many times, I get in the way. So Father, I continue just to impress that on my heart. To put myself out of the picture and focus on you. And to take the the posture that Jesus took when he was on this earth the posture of a servant. Father, I'm so thankful that that Jesus was willing to do that for me. I'm so thankful that he was willing to do that even to the point of death on a cross. That he was able to, to put his own comforts aside and the comfort of heaven aside and to come and live a life on earth and die for us. Father, help us to be reminded of that when, when things get hard and when we think about how difficult it is to love other people. Father, help us to just put you at the center of our lives. I pray these things in your name. Amen.